Okay, let's start out by you asking me a question. Ask me, what do you hate, Joe? Come on. What do you hate, Joe? Thank you so much for asking. I hate when people say they are committed to something and then they don't follow through. I hate when they say they care. Someone says, I care about you. And then they don't. I see it a lot of times, not all the time, but I see it a lot of times in politicians right? When they're trying to get elected, they say how much they care about you, and they are going to go to Washington and Harrisburg and make sure they serve you. And then I find out after they're elected that they didn't really care about me after all. They cared about their power. They cared about their money, but they didn't really care about me. It was all lip service. That frustrates me. It frustrates me when you take a job, right? You start looking at a company, you're interviewing, and the company makes all kinds of promises about how great the workplace is, and there's going to be promotions and opportunities and training, and wait till you see the raise you're going to get as you stay in this company, and then they don't follow through. They say that they care, every employer does, but then lip service. Worst of all, When someone close, right, family or friend, says they care, they love you, they're for you, they're not against you, they're there to serve you and help you, all kinds of promises, spouses, family, friends. And then when it gets difficult, when things are hard, when something goes south, you look around and you're like, where'd they go now? They said they loved you, they said they cared about you, and all of a sudden, nowhere to be found. I hate that. And I look at myself and I wonder if that's what I am. Am I someone that says I care, but I really don't? I mean, when did you stop and ask yourself, look in the mirror and go, am I caring? Do I actually follow through? I mean, when did words and commitments and love stop meaning something? That when I say I care, that my word is my bond. That when I say I'll do something, I follow through with what I said I would do. When did that stop? It stops with me so often because I, I look at my words and I say how much I love, how much I care, and then I find myself taking the easy path, going back on my words, and not showing with my actions that I actually do care because care is so much more than what I feel. It's what I commit to. So I wonder if we ask another question, am I caring enough to stay committed to my word? That when I say, I love you, that when I say, I care about you, that it means something, because when I say it, I follow through. When I say it, it's not just a word, it's not just a text, it's not just a sentiment, it's not just a feeling, it's actually my willingness no matter what the cost or consequence is, to love and serve you and care about you. I find in myself, when I look in the mirror and ask this question, I find myself a pretty fair-weather friend. That when it serves me, I care. And when it doesn't, I don't. And maybe you've had that experience. So we're gonna look in the Bible because the Bible serves as like a mirror to us. If you have your Bibles, we're looking in Ruth chapter one, which is in the Old Testament. 
If you're like me, I this week had to pull out the table of contents and go, where's Ruth? I can't find her because it's buried in the Old Testament. Go to your table of contents, Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, and we're going to look at what caring means beyond just words. So the book of Ruth is unique. A number of noteworthy things. The Old Testament book of Ruth is named after someone who is not Jewish, which is very unique for a Jewish book to have the name of a book being someone who's not ethnically Jewish, says there's something about this woman's story that's so compelling, so unique, it transcends ethnicity. For a Jewish person, that's a big deal. And what I also find unique about this is God nowhere in this story shows up and does something really hyper-powerful. He never shows up and does something supernatural. Instead, what he does is he shows up inside the lives of real people like you and me. And he enables real people like you and me who are going through real problems. In the book of Ruth, they go through ethnic problems. They go through um, immigration problems, grief. They go through poverty. And God shows up in the lives of real people and makes a difference in their real faith and their real choices, and that's how a supernatural God shows up, through real people like you and me. And so as we look at this, and we look in the mirror and ask the question, do I really care about people? The book of Ruth has something to put on display for us to learn. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine, no food. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife, two sons, went to live in another country, the country of Moab. I try to put myself into the context of this scene. And I think, well, if in my country there is no Food That if it's so bad that I have to leave my country to go find food, how desperate would I have to be? But that's where this man finds himself. This Jewish man finds himself so desperate that he has to leave his country to find food. And if I had no food, I would do the same thing, wouldn't you? But this wasn't like for him moving from Pennsylvania to Indiana. This was moving to another country and a country that was ethnically and religiously different. And more than that, Israel, the country he left, the religion, and Moab, the country he's going to and the ethnicity, they're at war with each other. They're, how desperate do you have to be to go to enemy territory to get food? This is a big deal. He's desperate. So he uproots his family and they go to another country. It would be like someone from Israel today moving to Palestine to find food. How's that going to go? I mean, how bad does it have to be for a Jewish person in Israel to leave Israel and go to Palestine so they can get a Big Mac? Like, it's bad. This is not good. This is how desperate. And what do your Jewish family members say when you leave your country to go to the enemy? What do they say about you? And do you think the Moabites, the place you're going, is going to be like, yeah, come on in, welcome, have a Big Mac? Like, no, there's tension, there's problems. This is a hard, hard context, as if that wasn't bad enough. Look at verse 3. 
the name of this father. Now Eli Melech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. Naomi's husband dies. They're living in a foreign country. Now she's a single mom, no husband, left to take care of her two sons in a foreign country. It goes from bad to worse. Verse four, they, Naomi's two sons, then married Moabite women. One was named Orpah, the other was Ruth. Her sons are old enough, they get married, but they marry outside of their religion, outside of their ethnicity, something that's explicitly forbidden in their religion. And verse five tells us it gets even worse. After they had lived there, about 10 years, both sons also die. And now Naomi is left without her two sons and without a husband. She's left with her foreign daughters-in-law and all she has, three women. This is bad. And maybe you're like, as a woman, you're like, oh, it's not so bad to me. Three women by ourselves. I kind of like that, right? Maybe you're like, get rid of them, right? But no, these three women, this is bad because in the ancient world, men were the economic engine of their time. So women couldn't own property, men could. Women couldn't get jobs, men could. So for Naomi to be alone, a single mom with her two daughters-in-law, with no men, no children, meant that there was no economic hope for them and for their future. And it's in this moment when things seem darkest that God's faithfulness shines bright. Look at verse 6. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. She's dealt hardship in Moab. She loses her husband and her sons. She's alone, three ladies. And now they prepare to go back because she hears God's providing food in Israel, and God's now calling Naomi home, verse 8. So they start heading back. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you've shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and they said to her, we will go back with you to your people. There's a deep connection between these ladies. They've been through so much loss and so much pain. But now Naomi looks at these two ladies as she's heading back to her country. She knows what it's like to be a foreigner in another place to start over. She looks at these two young women and go, hey, you guys, you should stay. Like, you should start over. Don't go with me. Go back and try to start a new life on your own. Go back and, and Orpah and Ruth weep and they say, no, no, mom, no, we love you so much. We're going to go with you. We'll go back with you. Such heartfelt words. But Naomi insists, verse 11, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could become your husbands? Weird. Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grow up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. And at this, they wept aloud again. In the scene, there's no easy path. There's no easy button. 
Everything is difficult. Everything is hard. Everything is painful. Everything seems impossible. They're weeping. They care about each other. They've committed to one another. They've known each other for a decade, at least. And now this is the point, the moment of truth. Verse 14 continues. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. And Ruth clung to her mother-in-law. I mean, you can kind of see this tension building. Orpah kisses her mother-in-law goodbye and goes, peace. And Ruth clings to her and moves forward. I mean, both daughters care. Both weep in grief. Both say they're committed. And you can understand both sides. You can understand a young woman going, I don't really want to go back to a foreign country with no hope of romance and no hope of a future. I don't want to go through that. So yeah, I kind of know I committed and said, I'll go with you wherever you go. But it's not too convenient at this point. So I understand, like, nah, I'm going to go home and start over. But you gave your word, didn't you? You said, I'll never leave you. You said, I'm committed. Don't we all find ourselves in that same spot where we talk a big game, where we feel real emotions, where we say, I'll go with you. I'll do it. I'll never. And then we cave and we take the easy path. Look at what's best for our interests and say, I'll do what serves my immediate needs. Let's finish the story. Verse 15. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. You know, it's one thing to say you care. It's one thing to say you're committed. It's another to do whatever it costs or whatever the consequence is to care. And so I look at myself in the mirror of this story. I look at these two characters and see how they respond. And I ask myself, how do I care? I mean, look at Orpah and what she does. She says she cares, but she cares until it costs too much. And then she hits the eject button, where Ruth says, I care, and in many ways, in supernatural ways, demonstrates she cares no matter what the cost is. And I find myself looking at these two people and saying, what am I more like? Am I more like this woman, Orpah, who is with emotion and care and love and feeling? I say, I'll do whatever it takes but then as soon as it gets hard, I find myself wavering and giving in to whatever's easier, less costly, despite whatever commitment I made. And, and I think to be fair, as you look at these two options, I think there are times that all of us, the cost is too high. I mean, this is just real. I mean, I love all of you as a church family, but honestly, I don't love you as much as I love my own family. What I would do for my own family is probably not what I would do for all of you, schmoes, right? I mean, like, I think all of us can look at our lives and go, there's circles and interconnectedness where I care about you, but I don't care about you as much as I care about 
these people, I think that's normal. I think that makes sense. But I also think there are times when sometimes in our society, care means I enable poor behavior. And that's not what the Bible is teaching. The Bible isn't saying care at all costs, because sometimes our loved ones and our friends make boneheaded, stupid decisions over and over and over again. And caring for them doesn't mean we just enable their poor behavior. Sometimes care means you have to sleep in the bed you've made. That's not what the Bible's teaching, just care at all costs. No, but you back up from this. And when it comes to our close family, friends? Am I quick to hit the eject button on commitments I've made? Am I more like Orpa with emotion, but then presented with better options? I go, eh, you know, mother-in-law, I'm out. Or am I more like Ruth that I say, you know, no matter what the cost or the consequences, I'm going to be true to my word. And here's a very hard but practical example. Every single one of us have gone to weddings, haven't we? where there's so much love in the air, so much romance, and you see a couple stare into each other's eyes, and they make the vow for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others. I'll be faithful to you as long as I live. We've heard that countless times. But then we see what that commitment looks like in many cases. That commitment looks like in many cases, I'll make the commitment to richer or poorer, it's sickness and health, as long as it serves my needs, as long as it's what makes sense to me. The moment I go, ah, I didn't think it signed up for this sickness or this problem or this tension, I, I didn't think it meant when I lost that feeling, all those butterflies that I had about you and thought you were a rock star and found out you're not, and the feeling goes away, and so I just say, ah, the vow I made doesn't really matter. How many of us say we're committed to our spouse, and then we lose the loving feeling, and we don't ask for help, and we don't seek to figure it out, or we do it just a bare minimum, because we don't want to go through a divorce process. It's too much money and too much time, and we don't want that stigma. We don't lean in. We don't push through the problem and humble ourselves. Did I or did I not make a vow to love and to cherish till death do us part? And, and I'm not trying to say there aren't reasons for divorce. There are reasons in abandonment and abuse and unfaithfulness. Absolutely, there are circumstances for divorce. But is it about a feeling? Is it about whether I like it or I didn't think I signed up for this or someone else is better than you because if I would have known that about you? Like, no, that's not what a vow is. I stay committed no matter what. And how many of us have gone to these weddings? Come on. We go to these weddings as family and friends. We dress up real nice, eat a rubber chicken and dance the chicken dance, and we have this big party and celebration. And then when the couple that we've been to their marriage is struggling, we ditch them. Oh, you're really the best man? Really? You're really in the wedding party? Really? When your couple friend is struggling and you do nothing to help them, you don't pray, you don't come alongside, you don't support, you don't pay for their counseling, you don't urge them with grace and truth towards what is right. There's so many times we've been to so many weddings and a couple goes through difficulty and then we're nowhere to be found. Instead of saying, no, I came to your wedding because I'm in your life and I'm a part of your life 
And so come hell or high water, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to come alongside you. I'm going to meet your needs. And sometimes that looks like separation and difficulty and counseling and help. And you work through it and a couple gets back on their feet together. And sometimes it works out to divorce. But whatever the cost or the consequence with your reputation and lifestyle, are you just there for the rubber chicken and the chicken dance? Or are you there for a lifetime as a friend? With prayer and support and patience and love and money and help, some of my greatest encouragement I have found at Faith Church is brothers and sisters in Christ who stay with people through the messiness of marriage and the messiness of separation and the messiness of counseling, sometimes the messiness of divorce, and they say, I love you so much, I'm with you through the whole thing. That's what it looks like to care. Not just rubber chicken and the chicken dance. Ruth's example of caring for her mother teaches me that if you care, you stay committed and you sacrifice yourself. If you really care, you stay committed. Do you really care about your friends? Stay committed and sacrifice. You really care about your family? Stay committed and sacrifice. You really care about your spouse? Stay committed and sacrifice. You really care about your kids? Stay committed and sacrifice. And now let's roll up our sleeves and get really messy. What how does this apply at work? Does this process apply at work? Heck, yes, it does, because how many of us, we're all working. How does this apply at work? Thank you again for asking. Let me tell you. If you're a boss and you say you care, do you really? Is that just lip service? You're a supervisor? You're an employer? Do you really care? Have you really given fair, equitable treatment to your employees? Have you really trained them and been in their corner and given them opportunities and a fair wage? Because if it's just lip service, why are you wasting energy and time? Just come out and say, I'll step on whomever to get wherever I want. And I guarantee you, less people will apply for your job. But why are you lying and dishonoring God? Because in your workplace, you're creating unjust experiences. And how about us workers, right? Like, didn't you agree to the job description you signed up for? Didn't you agree to the salary and wage? Don't you cash that paycheck every week? And yet you bash your employer? And you steal from your employer by slacking off because you don't like your boss or don't think they came through? Where does sacrifice and care come in the workplace? It means as a boss, I'm equitable. I don't step on people and use them for my own sake. It means I follow through with my word and I sacrifice for my employees. That's what it looks like as a Christ follower. And as an employee, I do the work I've been given to do and I do it with integrity and excellence. And if those two things can't happen, it's time to find a new place to work, right? Go find another place to work where you can sacrifice and be committed to your word. I mean, and if this sounds impossible to you, you're in good company. If you look at this and go, I can't do this. I can't say committed to my word and sacrifice. This is impossible. You're in good company because it is impossible. This is all impossible. So you look at Orpah, this woman. She loved and cared for her mother-in-law. But when presented with real costs, 
She hit the eject button. In a lot of ways, I don't blame her. She did what was normal and natural. She looked at herself and go, well, you know, if I go that direction, there's not much for me down there. So my mom-in-law is saying to go, so I'll, okay, like I'm gonna take it as quick as I can and go this direction. I get it. She did what was normal and natural. Ruth, on the other hand, didn't do what was normal. She did what was supernatural. She did what was supernatural. To leave your country, to leave your people, to leave your hope for romance and financial security, to stay with your mother-in-law? I mean, that's supernatural. Staying committed and sacrificing yourself requires God's help, right? So if you feel overwhelmed by this and you're like, I can't do this, it requires God's help to work on your marriage when everything seems like it's going wrong. That, that's only going to happen with God's help. To stay committed to your children when they're going through a phase where they don't stop crying as infants, they're driving you nuts as toddlers and teenagers, when they're adults and they continue to make boneheaded decisions, staying committed to them requires God's help. To serve with integrity in a difficult work environment, that requires God's help. To care for your spouse in sickness and in health, that requires God's help. To take care of your elderly parents who are struggling with health, that requires God's help. But God can give you the supernatural strength to do this if you ask him. So Ruth is the agent of God's grace in this situation because God was working behind the scenes in Ruth's heart to help her. And just like God worked in Ruth's heart, God can work in your heart too. Ruth did something abnormal and supernatural, and you realize as you watch what she does, she looks like God. I mean, she is the representative of God in this story. And the same thing could be true for you. When you stay committed, when you sacrifice yourself, that's when you look most like God. But I want to caveat this because I know some of you have suffered greatly. I know some of you have been in relationships where you've done this. You've stayed committed and sacrificed yourself and you look like God, but you've been abused and mistreated. The Bible never advocates or teaches that when you're abused or mistreated or there's injustice, that you're supposed to be comfortable about that. You're supposed to just let that ride. No, that's not what the Bible is inviting us to. The Bible is a place of justice and love for everyone and teaches us to be this way. So what I'm not talking about is stay committed and sacrifice yourself. You'll look like God and you're in this unjust, abusive situation that's just downright wrong. So look more like God. The harder it gets, you'll look more like God. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying outside of that, for most of us, we see situations and we go through circumstances where abuse and mistreatment isn't the issue but it's just our feelings or our we're bored or we like to change a pace or the wind blew in a different direction. So we changed our mind and we went back on our commitment. And the Bible is saying, no, when God invites us into his family, he promises us that he'll give us supernatural abilities to love and to care and to serve other people. And when we tap into his spirit and do that, 
We look like God. We represent God on planet Earth with our coworkers and our friends and our family. God committed himself to us and sacrificed himself for us. When we commit to one another and sacrifice for other people, we look like, reflect, represent the God of the universe. And here's what we're promised in the Bible, throughout the Bible, that when we stay committed, when we sacrifice ourselves, God rewards us. God sees everything you do. God knows you. He knows your circumstances. He knows the situation you're in. And when you follow his voice, when you walk with him and listen to his spirit, when you stay committed, even when it's hard, even when it costs, the God of the universe sees that. So you read Ruth's story and you see how God is at work in her life throughout. And you read the whole story and you see how God blesses her and shows favor to her because she's committed, because she cares, because she sacrifices. And what I'm not saying is if you commit to God this way and invite him to help you in this way, that suddenly you're going to be wealthy and healthy and wise and your marriage is going to be perfect and your family is going to be perfect and your work is going to be perfect. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is as you lean into being like God, as you say, I care, and you lean in and say, God, Spirit, would you help me to be self-controlled and to faithful and kind and loving and patient? You watch how the God of the universe implants his self inside of you that nothing can separate you from his love, that his peace and his power will be with you always, that he will walk with you and talk with you and guide you and give you discernment to know when to do something and when not to, when it's time to say that's enabling behavior and this is love, when it's time to say I made the commitment and I'm gonna stick with the commitment, when it's time to say I made the commitment but this is wrong and something is sinful or unjust and it needs to change, it will give you the confidence to walk and to make steps to be the kind of employer that gives a fair, equitable treatment to people in your workplace, to be the kind of employee that serves with integrity as if you're working unto the Lord, not to men, to be the kind of spouse that no matter how hard it seems, you're going to lean in and try and say, I'll get counseling, I'll get help, I'm not going to point my fingers at you, I'm going to look at my heart first and do what I can do. You see, we've failed in so many ways as modern Americans uh, leading the way. We actually have fallen into the trap of thinking this is all there is. We've fallen into the trap of thinking all you have on a Memorial Day weekend is a hot dog and nice sun and a boat ride. We failed to think that people have souls that will never die and that we have lives that matter for eternity and the decisions that I make today in my family and at work echo through eternity and impact people far beyond my life. That heaven is real and God promises eternal pleasures at his right hand forevermore so that whatever the cost or consequences of my decisions today echo through eternity. And when I just say, eh, I don't feel like it anymore. I'm giving up, I'm throwing him away or her away. Ah, you know what, I'm not willing to get help or ask for help or get counseling. I'm not willing to try to make this work. Ah, you know what, this is too hard for me. So yeah, I made a commitment, but it doesn't really matter. In any stage of life, we realize and think that that doesn't matter, but it matters. And it echoes through eternity. People are watching you and me. Are we just another person that makes a lot of lip service says I care, 
but we do nothing to sacrifice and love and serve people that are coming here from other countries because they're desperate for food, people that are struggling with inequities that we should change, people that are living below the poverty line, that shouldn't matter to us, people from all kinds of different backgrounds that have souls that will never die, and I don't care about you because you don't serve my needs or my interests. Should it matter to us? I'm not trying to make a political statement. I'm just trying to make a kingdom statement about love and about caring and about serving and representing our dad well on planet Earth. Does it matter to you? Or are we just going to be numbered with everyone else that are a bunch of windbag Christians that say we care but never sacrifice? I don't want to be that way. I want to lay my life down for you. I would like to get to the point where I love you as much as I love my family. That's my goal. For some of you, it's easier than others, it's harder, right? But my goal is, if you're all my brothers and sisters, then I should sacrifice for you as much as I would sacrifice for my own blood because we are connected through the blood of Christ and we will spend eternity together. So my desire and goal, my heart's passion is to try to be someone that loves you like I would love my own son, my own spouse. God empowers that kind of love when we ask him. Would you pray with me? Father, this is really hard because we've been hurt. Most of us have experienced other people who have committed to love us and they've let us down. Father, most of us have been mistreated in all kind of different ways, most of us have experienced brokenness. But you put your spirit inside us. You said anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So something new is happening inside me where I'm called to love, I'm called to serve, that my yes would be yes and my no would be no that I would see my decisions matter in my family and in my workplace, in my community, not just for this generation, but for generations to come. So Holy Spirit, help us. Give us the fruits of the Spirit that we might be faithful and gentle and kind and patient, long-suffering. Only you can help us to be like Ruth that whatever the cost or the consequence, that we would commit, we would stay the course. Would you help husbands and wives? Would you humble husbands and humble wives? Would you help the couples right now who are going through separation and through counseling? Would you help them to see that humility and faith is the way forward? God, for the couples who have gone through divorce, I pray that you bring healing and hope. Bring them to a new day and help their friends to stick by them, whatever the cost. For our children, young and old, may we be committed to love, to grace, to truth. To our aging parents, may we be committed to serve. The generation that served us, may we stick by their side and love the elderly, and to the immigrant among us. We don't have to know why they're here, but would you help us to be loving, to 
understand and try to help and serve. In our workplaces, would you make our workplaces places of peace and justice? That employees and employers would work with integrity and sacrifice for one another. Because in this, we look like you. Only you can do this, God. But we ask it because we want your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is what it looks like. This is what it means. Help us, I pray, through Christ our Lord. Amen.